We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello, everyone. It's Sunday, May 8th, and welcome to this edition of The Truth Perspective. I'm your host, Elon Martin, and joining me in the studio today are fellow SOT editors, Shane Lachance. Hello, everybody. Corey Shank. Welcome back, everyone. And Harrison Coley. Good to be here. We'd just like to wish a very happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there today. Where would we be without you? <laughs> We are very happy to have with us on The Truth Perspective today, Dr. David M. Jacobs. Dr. Jacobs was a professor at Temple University for 36 years, where he taught the only course on UFOs that I think uh, have been taught nationally in the U.S. He has, for several decades, been researching the subject quite in depth of UFOs, extraterrestrials, and their presence here on Earth. We can easily say that few in this field have been asking the hard questions and digging for answers for as long and as rigorously as David Jacobs. He's the author of such well-known titles as The UFO Controversy in America, Secret Life, and The Threat. His most recent book is entitled Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on with us today and for writing another fascinating and deeply distressing book about malevolent aliens. <laughs> for those who've never read any of your books or know who you are, can you just tell us about your background and how you've gotten into this field of research, maybe giving us a, a sense of your progression into it since you've been looking into it for so long? Well, I got interested in the UFO phenomenon in 1965. Uh, so I've been involved with UFO uh, research one way or another for, for half a century. Uh, uh, I was an undergraduate at UCLA when I got interested in it. And uh, as a graduate student, uh, 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 I went to University of Wisconsin and uh, I was even more interested in it there as, as, as I began to realize this is real, this is happening, this is something that, that is astounding and amazing, and this might be contact between different uh, cultures from different uh, worlds, and uh, I, I was thrilled, and uh, I joined the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, and I became a field investigator for them, you know, and examined uh, cases in the Madison, Wisconsin area and all that, and sent in my reports, and uh, eventually, and I joined the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Uh, uh, some years later, I joined MUFON and uh, a mutual UFO network, I should say. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a part of uh, my life and my research interest uh, uh, since I was uh, basically, uh, uh, well, I look back on it and I say a kid, you know, <laughs> since I was very young. Um, 
and I'm, I'm still doing it, although uh, I must say that watching television has uh, overtaken all of my interests these days. But uh, <laughs> I, I'm, uh, I think I'm at the end of my research on this subject. I think I'm, I've gone as far as I can go, to tell you the truth. But um, so I, I kept at it. I, uh, I, I, I wrote a master's thesis uh, at the University of Wisconsin on the introduction of Freudian ideas into the American psychological and psychiatric community between 1909 and 1929. Uh, but even even though I wrote that, I was still reading everything I could read about UFOs. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I, I determined in those days that I would read every book ever written about UFOs, which was actually possible in the mid-60s, you know. And uh, or late sixties, even uh, now, of course, it's impossible. Now there's 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 literally thousands of books out on on, on UFOs and abductions, <laughs> and uh, uh, I wound up writing my dissertation ultimately on, uh, and actually started a dissertation on the image of women in early film history pre nineteen fifteen. Uh, I did about six months worth of research on that, and then eventually switched topics to the to uh, the controversy over unidentified flying objects, and uh, and I stuck with it ever since then. And, you know, uh, and did start doing lecturing and uh, uh, about it, not lecturing, but giving talks about it. And so uh, that's that's sort of uh, how how I began, and uh, it's. Uh, uh, I did my first radio and uh, television show and first talk uh, uh, to a group um, in 1972. It all came along at around the same time. Got my PhD in '73, and it's uh, uh, and 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 I don't know. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> uh, so I've kept at it for for most of uh, for all um, for most of my adult life. So, uh, at what point did you start? Um using hypnosis as a means of looking into this phenomenon? Well, I've told this story many times, so I'll bore your audience by, by telling it again. Um, I, I, I got a job at the University of Nebraska where I taught for a year, and then I, uh, I got a job at Temple where I, where I taught for 36 years. So um, uh, I, I had read um, early on uh, some books about uh, abductions, uh, Barney and Betty Hill's story, you know, Interrupted Journey, and The Andreasen Affair, written by Ray Fowler. <clears throat> and that was interesting. And, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, Betty Hill uh, uh, came to visit me in 1976 uh, when my wife and I were, had just moved to, uh, to well, we moved here uh, in Philadelphia to, in 1975, but she came to visit me in 76, and, and, and we uh, took me out to uh, West Philadelphia where Bar uh, Barney's sister uh, was living, and I met Barney's sister. And turns out that Barney's son had graduated from Temple University just the year before I came. He graduated in 74, and I came in 75. And, um, and I talked with Betty uh, quite a bit about what the aliens looked like, you know, and that's, that was uh, everybody's favorite question. What do they look like? What do they look like? And uh, and I asked her think questions like when they moved their arms, did they have elbows? You know things like that, and uh, uh, the most basic things imaginable. 
And yet, at the same time, a couple of cases did not a pattern make. We also knew of another case. Uh, the first case was uh, the uh, Antonio Villas Boas case in, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, uh, an, uh, an illiterate Brazilian peasant who claimed to be taken aboard a UFO and had a lot of procedures done to him and then forced to have sex with a human-looking uh, alien of some sort. I just didn't know about that. And um, and I, I, I became less interested, actually, as a few years went on. In 1981... I was at a conference and uh, uh, set up by my friend uh, Alan Hynek, who was the, uh, the 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 dean of UFO researchers uh, at that time, and uh, and who wrote the introduction to my first book. And uh, I gave a paper there, as I remember, uh, and there was a guy named Bud Hopkins who was going to go give really the first paper by a serious researcher uh, to uh, a, uh, a uh, an audience uh, of, of, of scientists and so forth. And I I thought to myself, I don't want to hear this guy Hopkins. I, I, you know I'm not you know, I'm not that interested in the abduction phenomenon and it just it just doesn't sit right with me. So I went out into the hallway with a, a friend of mine, Marcello Truzzi, who was a professor of sociology at Eastern Michigan University, who was a a humor specialist. He knew every joke ever ever uttered <laughs> by every human on Earth since the beginning of time. So I went out in the hallway, rather than listening to Bud Hopkins, and laughed for an hour. <laughs> then when he was done, I came back in and and, and listened to other other topics. I I didn't uh, other papers. I didn't. I, I wasn't interested in it. A year later, in 1982, uh, a friend of mine, Tracy Torme, uh, who is a Hollywood uh, writer and, and director, uh, did uh, uh, Fire in the Sky and other movies. Um, he called me up. He was in New York. He said, "David," he says. Uh, he told me he had found where the the, the the office that led the conspiracy from the government cover-up of the UFOs. But he couldn't tell me on the phone because they might be listening and all that. So uh, I went up to New York and he told me, and we sat in a, in a, uh, on a bench in Central Park and he told me his idea of where the, the, the conspiracy was from, which was from the uh, U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey Office. Uh, which n- never made it into the top ranks of, of, of guilty uh, offices. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so after he, we talked about this for a while, he said to me, he said, uh, uh, I'm going over to, to Bud Hopkins. Come on with me. You, you, you know. And I, I said, oh, I, I'm not interested in that, Tracy. You know, let's, let's, I don't, I don't want to do that. He said, no, he's a nice guy. You like him. He said, oh, he's an okay guy. No, 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 Tracy. No, no, no. He says, come on, come on. I got a, I got a cab right here. He's got, he, he pulls his cab over. And uh, uh, I, I said, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so we go over to, um, uh, he lived on uh, 16th Street uh, between 7th and 8th Avenue. So the cab driver lets us off the corner of 8th, 8th Avenue and 16th Street. Mm-hmm. And Tracy had forgotten the address. So 
we had to start looking on do- on doors uh, with buttons on them, that, you know, doorbells to see if the name Hopkins was on any of them. From and we found it, <laughs> and uh, and down comes Spud Hopkins. Of course, I didn't say anything about the fact that I had uh, walked out on his talk uh, uh, the year before, and uh, uh, we we come into his house, and the first thing that made my jaw hit the floor was. I'm looking at a Degas drawing on his wall, at a Cezanne drawing on his wall, at a Renoir drawing on his wall. I'm looking at paintings by Rothko, by Franz Klein, by Hans Hoffmann, and I did not realize that he was an artist. I'm looking at his own art, which is excellent and just wonderful. And... I knew a little bit about art, so I knew what I was looking at. And uh, it turns out that Hopkins was a member of what later became uh, known as the the New York School of Art. Uh, And um, all these artists who lived together, knew each other, all were friends with each other, Jackson Pollock, on and on and on. And he was the youngest member of them. He'd come from Oberlin College, where he graduated from in 1953, moved to New York, and he bought this house in 1958. So he owned, he had a, a, a person who owned, uh, he, and a, he and another person who owned half the house each, and the, the woman lived upstairs, and she, he lived downstairs. And uh, so he owned the house, in a way, in, in New York City, which is, which is sort of astonishing these days. And uh, the first thing he did was he got my, my first book out, The UFO Controversy, and he had me sign it for him. And I knew he was a person of discriminating taste at that point. <laughs> and he was extremely charming, extremely nice, and extremely intelligent. So we stayed for about an hour and chatted. And then now it's time to leave. And we're standing on a, uh, we go downstairs, we're standing on a, um, a, a little walkway that left, led out to the sidewalk. So he asked me, what are you doing this summer? And I said, well, uh, we just had a baby, and we usually go up to Bar Harbor, Maine for uh, vacation, but it's too long a drive. So we're going to uh, a little town in Cape Cod. Now, this is a town nobody ever heard of. Uh, I said, it's a little town called Wellfleet, where we'd been there before, the year before, and we're going to go up there again this year. He said, Wellfleet? I own a house in Wellfleet. I'm in Wellfleet from June through October. Every year, he says, when you come up there, look me up, you know, and he gave me his phone number and all the rest of that stuff up there. And uh, of all things, that was that was a, sort of astounding, because even now people have not heard of Wellfleet, um, uh, a, a highly charged uh, intellectual, uh, artistic, uh, academic community. So uh, he. Um, uh, uh, I looked him up when we when we went up there. He introduced me to abductees. I'd never met an abductee before, except Betty Hill, of course. And I, uh, I had never uh, been involved with it. And and uh, he it, he it, he got me. He sucked me into his circle. Is what it boiled down to. And I came back uh, to Temple University after the vacation. And I I was I was a director of the American Studies program at the time. And I called up Alan Hynek and I said, Alan, I think this guy Hopkins has something. I, I think he's on to something here. This is this is this is this this might be something important. And he said, No, David, 
stick with UFOs, you know, don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go to the abduction stuff, you know, you just stick with UFOs. I said, I don't know, Alan, I, I, I'm, he, I think he's, he's gone to something here. And uh, so Alan told me again not to do it. And I, if I had an, an ounce of brains in my body, I, I would have taken his advice, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't. And uh, I, I, uh, I started going up to New York uh, and seeing, watching what uh, what Bud did, uh, hypnosis and sitting in on sessions and he uh, learning how to do hypnosis and all the rest of that stuff. And it took me four years. Uh, this was 82. And in 86, I began to do my, my own uh, abduction research. Um, and so, and Bud became my, uh, my closest and dearest friend uh, for all the way until his death in 2011. Uh, and we talked on the phone every day for the first five years, I must say. It's uh, sort of astonishing. Uh, so uh, he, uh, he was obviously extremely influential in, in my doing this, this kind of work. So that's how I got interested in it, uh, through a series of mishaps <laughs> and, and yeah, of sorts. <laughs> David, can you explain the, the process of hypnosis um, for folks who are not so familiar with it and uh, why you believe it's a, a valid and kind of productive um, form of investigation into abductee experiences? Well, hypnosis by actual scientific evaluation is one one billionth away, one, one billionth of, a, of an inch away from being totally fraudulent altogether. Mm-hmm. It's it is the stupidest damn thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> All it is is words. I, I will do an induction, and a person is lying. I have a, a little day bed uh, in, in my in a room, and uh, they're they're lying down there, and I've got my I'm in a chair, and I've got my feet on a radiator in my 1880 house, and um, and there's a coffee table between us, and there's a chair, and if they bring somebody, they sit in the chair. The person who's sitting in the chair hears everything I'm saying and is not hypnotized, so to speak. The person who is lying on the couch hears everything I'm saying and is hypnotized. Now, how do you figure that? <laughs> if you want to be hypnotized, you will be. My hypnosis is simply a simple relaxation techniques. That's all. Just you know, feeling. I I copied what Bud was doing, and he learned how to do it from a psychologist. And uh, was just going through a, 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 a sort of uh, going through your different muscle groupings from your feet up to your head and down again, and and then going into a special place down certain uh, ten steps or something like that each time, feeling more and more relaxed. And then I start asking questions. Sometimes people say, David, I don't think I'm hypnotized. And I'll say, it doesn't matter. Just, just close your eyes. It doesn't matter. And it doesn't. <laughs> and I start asking questions in a certain way, I must say. I ask questions uh, in the first person. Uh, I mean, in, in the present tense, rather. I'm sorry. And um, and they, they're just relaxed, and they can focus in and start remembering. It doesn't work for everybody. I've had a couple of people. In fact, I'm working with one right now. It's just not not working with. Uh, I, of the 150 or 60 people who I've worked with over the years, uh, which is not a whole lot considering you know that I've done this since uh, for for 30 years, but um, uh, but I work with them over long periods of time uh, and 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 sometimes for decades. But uh, 
uh, it, 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 for for most people, it works. For for some people, uh, for 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 so far, two and a half people. I still have another session with this other woman. Uh, it hasn't worked. So so for the majority of people, it does work. Why it works, I don't know. They're not supposed to remember these things. It's not like remembering a license plate number, or, you know, forensic hypnosis or things like that. Mm-hmm. It's this is memories are stored. Not in their short-term memory, which is apparently blocked in some way, but in their long-term memory. So, and they have not remembered it ever. It's not remembered from the time they come back from an abduction. So they're remembering it for the first time, which is extraordinary, which is unusual. And the odd thing about hypnosis, about this memory situation is once they remember it, it begins to degrade like normal memories. So people say, oh, well, hypnosis or memory thing, you're putting, you know, you're leading people, you're saying things that make them say this and make them say that. The answer is no, that is not true. Not true. In fact, a lot of things that, that I hear from people, I don't want them to say. <laughs> I, 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 hate, I hate to hear it. But, <laughs> right. um, but the fact is, though, that, that once it gets into normal memory, it begins to degrade just like normal memory does. And, and uh, they'll tell me uh, the story of what happened to them, uh, uh, an event that, that we did, uh, let's say, say, a couple of years before, and they'll get it wrong. Uh, interestingly enough, it's just like normal memory because it's the first time they've ever remembered it. So the, the whole concept of, of, of doing the, uh, this work is, is really unusual in a sense uh, because they're not supposed to. Now, having said that, they also uh, uh, they're betraying a trust. They are doing something that uh, now I'm going to use the word I hate to say it that aliens don't want them to do. And uh, the aliens tried to get them to uh, not remember and stop doing it, stop remembering if they are. And they put pressure on them. One time I was dealing with a guy uh, who uh, um, was a, had a PhD. And um, we were doing our 10th session together. Uh, I don't charge any money. And anybody can stop anytime they want to. You know, it's, it's their lives, not mine. And so um, at the, in the middle of the 10th session, he sat bolt upright in the couch on this daybed thing. He looked at me and he said, I'm not supposed to be telling you this. And that was it. He stopped and he never came back. And uh, they, they had gotten to him. And that, that happens every once in a while. You know, people just, uh, uh, these beings who don't want them to sit, to, to talk about this, uh, prevail, prevail. And, uh, and uh, I have to, and that's it, you know. So, but. But it's just simple relaxation techniques to, to reiterate this. If a person wants to be hypnotized, they will be. If they don't want to be, they won't be ultimately. And, uh, and sometimes it just doesn't work. And, uh, um, but most of the time, you know, 95% of the time, 98% of the time, whatever it is, uh, it does work and people do remember. Uh, and now memory's tricky, especially in this phenomenon. You're not supposed to remember, and here's a, here's the problem. I'll just blurt this out. All communication on board a UFO is telepathic. Now, I'm using the word all 
and I'm probably going to be wrong. It's probably 99.9%. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but just bear with me. The problem is when you ask them, well, what do you mean by telepathic? Are you hearing words? Are you hearing grunts and squeaks that you're translating into words? Uh, you know, and they'll say, well, I'm, I'm hearing words. You know, they're just telling me I have to get up on the table and all, whatever. And um, here's the problem. The problem is what is to prevent them from remembering their own thoughts about what's happening to them and not the uh, uh, not information that's coming from the outside into them, but just coming from their own their own brains. And the answer to that is nothing prevents that at all. It happens all the time. And here's where people get really angry now. It happens most, by far most, with consciously remembered incidents. So if a person tells you, I was, um, uh, tells me, if I, you know, I remember this, this happened to me and that happened to me and this happened to me and that happened to me and this happened to me. And And I always say, oh, that's very interesting. We'll do a session on that and we'll see, we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll check that out. Invariably, they got things wrong. They skipped things. They, they put their own thoughts into it and didn't realize it. Uh, they, they got things backwards. They, there's all sorts of problems. And I, it's, I just lump it under the one term of confabulation. It's confabulation. It's absolute at its peak in conscious memories, although everybody thinks that uh, it would be it's best when they're not conscious memories because then you don't have to go through hypnosis and, and, and all that. And so that's, 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 those are the best ones. In fact, they're the worst ones in terms of, of accuracy. It's still there in the first session. It's less in the second session. By the third session, they begin to get it. They have to be very, very careful about how that, what they're saying and how they're saying it and have to listen very carefully to my questions. In the fourth session, it's gone. They're all they're We're all on, on board uh, with the same sense of 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 going through a, an event chronologically and logically. In other words, if they're on a table, they have to get off the table. <laughs> How do you get off the table? You know, see what I mean? That, that you can't just they can't just say, well, I'm in another room now. Mm-hmm. I won't allow that. They have to they have to tell me how they got off the table and they have to tell me how they walked out and they have to tell me whether they went straight out of the room or left or right. It has to be chronological and logical. And by the time they learn how to do that, you get really, really good, serious accounts of what's happening. And that's uh, I, I've prided myself in that, actually. That's a long, long uh, answer to a very short question. <laughs> Well, when when people first come to you, uh, do they have do they usually have some conscious memories or feelings or dreams? And how do you select who you're going to be working with? Good question. Uh, They know that they have led odd lives that other people haven't led. Uh, I will talk about now. Let's just say that everybody I'm talking about has a PhD and MD and LLD or is a university professor of some sort or whatever. Uh, um, and to, so I've worked with them and I've worked with, with people who've dropped out of school very young and, and everybody in, in the middle. 
but but this is a situation whereby um, uh, 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 people uh, uh, who have a lot to lose uh, come to me as well. So uh, let's see. What was the first part of your question? Uh, uh, do people come well. with uh, with any memories of these experiences? Or? Right. They all they fill out a questionnaire on my website. Uh, that's 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 the first part. For people, uh, I usually tend to take people who are who are desperate to find out where the, the phenomenon is interfering with their lives. They're, they're, they know that they're having these odd experiences. They wake up one day and they're outside their house and the house is locked from the inside. This is not uncommon. That is not going to happen to anybody on this earth who is um, uh, not an abductee. Because if the house is locked from the inside and you need a key, it's just, you'd have to, there's there's ways in which it's impossible. Let's put it that way. I had one woman who had to take a baseball bat that was in her backyard and break open a patio door to get back into her house. I, I had a guy who was abducted from a dorm room and he was let go in the grass near the dorm itself. He had to get back upstairs it was chain locked inside. His roommate was here, opened the door as he pounded on it, and his jaw fell open because this guy, they lived on like the 10th floor. He didn't drop out of the window. And, and the abductee was outside. Oh, how, how, how can that happen? You know, and then, so, uh, so they know something is wrong. Odd things have happened to them. Uh, people who say things like that, or who remember being on a table, or who remember opening their eyes in their bedroom and there's there's aliens around it, uh, that usually does not happen to people who are not abductees. So uh, they fill out this questionnaire. If it's gotten in the way of their life, if it's destroying their life, if they're 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 ruminating on it every minute of every day. Those are the people who I tend to, to take uh, because uh, my job then is to not only find out what's happening, but to help them get their lives in order. They sign a release saying, saying I'm, not a, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a hypnotherapist, I'm just some jerk off the street and, uh, and, uh, and you know, the, I'll, I'll do the best I can, but I can't promise everything and all that sort of stuff, whatever. So, uh, but... But the way I look at it is these people are, are, are suffering under this situation. Their lives are being ruined. And I get them to the point where they ultimately they come enough times, they know enough about it, and then they don't care anymore. They've got, they, they, get, on, they get on with their lives. They, they, uh, they, they know they're going to be abducted over and over and over again. It happens uh, with great rapidity uh, for, for most of their lives. And they don't care. They just want to get on with their normal lives now, knowing full well that they are abductees. And when that happens, uh, I feel I've 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 won a victory. This is this is good. This is fine. They I, I have I have gotten them back on 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 their on straight and narrow in terms of leading their own life, even though they're abductees. It sounds kind of crazy. I know that, but uh, but that's that's what I work for. Obviously, I'm looking for information as well. So, uh, and trying to figure out what's happening uh, to, to everybody. 
So, uh, the, the, you know, that's, that's how people get in touch with me. They, I don't call anybody. They have to call me. Uh, I tell them, I give them my phone number. If I decide I, I might want to work with them, that I, I give them warnings about what could happen. Uh, uh, they're dire warnings, you know, about, uh, uh, suddenly feeling isolated. And, and, um, if they talk about this, that they're in their workplace, they will be fired eventually if they keep talking about it. And uh, that's happened enough times so that uh, I have to warn people. And if they tell their uh, family members that they're an abductee, that the people will think that they that that they're they they've got a psychological or, or psychiatric problem and mm-hmm. try to line them up with a with a, a specialist who can who can straighten them out, you know. And I tell them that that. That disbelief and trying to help them uh, is is normal. It's good. It's loving, but you have to remember there. It's that's going to happen because anybody who says they're being abducted by aliens from another planet is obviously got mental problems. So uh, uh, um, the, and so they're aware of that. And I, I have to, I give them all these warnings. And there's a warning of depression that might come up also uh, after the first. Um, uh, oops, sorry. After the first session, uh, there can be depression, and they have to be uh, aware of that. And uh, and everything turns out, uh, hopefully, for the best uh, if they stick with me for long enough. Well, just to get an so, idea of the scale of this thing, uh, Dr. Jacobs, in your book, The Threat, uh, you write about uh, a poll that you and I think an associate conducted and uh, delivered it to yeah. a representative yeah. number of Americans. And could you just tell us about the number of people who are showing signs of being abducted? Right. This was a poll taken in 1991. Uh, Bud Hopkins and I uh, put it together with the help of Ron Westrom and then John Mack, who was a professor of psychiatry at, uh, at Harvard, um, uh, 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 put in an essay when the book had, uh, was published with its numbers in it. It was of uh, 5,000 people, I'm sorry, almost 6,000 people, uh, 5,800 and something or whatever, uh, across the country uh, over the age of 18. Um, this, uh, this, this was uh, clipboard in hand uh, primarily. It wasn't uh, a robocall uh, type of situation, not in 1991, you know. And uh, uh, this is uh, done, as I said, to the Roper Organization, which is now no longer in existence. But... Uh, we asked them a series of questions. When the answers came back, uh, we looked through those numbers and we realized, well, the poll probably could have been stronger and better, uh, uh, but 91 was still er- relatively early on. And uh, the numbers were too high. We knew that of the 10 questions that were asked, that uh, uh, the numbers... We just couldn't go forward with those numbers. The numbers of people who said who might be have abductions were were just huge, fifteen <laughs> percent or something. It was, it was craziness. Yeah. So yeah. we we cooked the numbers down. Wow. <laughs> we decided that there were of that of the that there were there were ten questions. We divided them into the five lower indicator questions and five higher indicator questions, and they had to um, answer yes to all uh to uh four of the five higher indicator questions that and to to make the poll 
that meant they could answer yes to eight uh, to eight questions and not make the poll, not make wow. the final statistics. Wow. And we got it down to 2% of the American public, which made national news. Mm. Because 2% of 300 million people is, uh, is 6 million. <laughs> 6 million. In other words, the numbers are crazy. And it isn't 2%. It's, my guess is, and this is guess, this is not based on anything, but my guess is it's, it's upwards of 5%. And five percent is uh, is thirty million people. It's in, in the United States. Now, here's the problem: this is a global phenomenon. It is not an American phenomenon. It is happening all around the world. Uh, both Hopkins and I have worked with people from Asia, from Africa, from uh, Latin America, from Australia, whatever, and uh, it's all it's all around the world, and. Um, uh, he, uh, uh, it's it's we we can't think about this as an American phenomenon. We can't think of of just just the American aspect of it. The interesting thing is is that everybody is saying the same thing around the world. They are inventing a scenario. If you do not believe that this is happening, they are inventing a scenario which is not well known at all, even with my writings and Bud's writings and other people's writings, not well known at all, giving the same details, talking about the same instruments, let's just say, and uh, that are used all around the world, regardless of geography, regardless of educational level, regardless of um, uh, of anything, regardless of religion, it, it does not matter. They're all saying the same thing around the world only about this. And it's if this is not happening, not happening, it's astounding. It is one of the more astounding things that we have ever discovered in the history of neurology. Because they're all saying the same thing in the same detail around the world about one subject. And they all know it's crazy to say it. And yet they're all saying it. Yeah. It's astounding if it's not happening. David, you make, and you make that point in the book, I believe in the first chapter, how if, because there, there are several kind of debunking explanations for the abduction phenomenon and, or phenomena. And, if those, if any of those were true, then you would think that, or conclude that, it, if it's confabulation, people would come up with differing stories to some degree, and you just don't find that when you actually look into it and look at the actual abductees' experiences. And not only that, when you're um, when you're looking into it, oh, lost my train of thought on that one, but. Um, it's just welcome to my world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> must be some limbic resonance going on. <laughs> but uh, so it's it's really an absurd situation because you do find that, and even like tiny details, like um, things that you would not expect people to confabulate, and if they were confabulating, you wouldn't expect other people to do it on a consistent, and regular basis, crossing national boundaries. And oftentimes, it will be details that aren't part of anything like pop culture. It might even be details that aren't publicized, but they still keep cropping up. And so to, to say that this is just an individual, um, like, psychopathology or something, just doesn't, it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter. It doesn't account for the evidence. 
Um, but um, to, to move on to another topic, we had some responses in our chat room so far um, about the idea, just the idea of abductions. And some of the people in the chat room were saying that if that was their experience, they think that, like, um, in their in their opinion, in their personal experience, they would like the abductions to stop. And that maybe, like, for them, they say maybe that um, they'd like trying, um, maybe being anger, like this intense sense of righteous anger to try to stop it. And that it seems kind of sad that all that people can do is um, is kind of just learn to live with it. I wonder if you could comment a little bit about that, about maybe the, the topic of or the, uh, the potential of stopping abductions, if, if you've ever seen that, or if you know any researchers who have had any success with that, maybe just, um, like, is it really, is that the best alternative, is just to kind of learn to accept it and go, along, go, go on with your life? As far as I know, nobody has figured out a way to stop it. Uh, there's, there's uh, unfortunately. Now, there, we are, n- it's possible that some people who are under constant um, observation in prison, for example, that might stop it. It's possible. I, 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 but other than that, uh, people, th- this is what people tell me. They tell me that they've stopped abductions. I, they, they were able to stop an abduction. Uh, um, first of all, uh, the abduction phenomenon, is, let me just say, the background for this to lead up to it. It's intergenerational. That is to say, if a person is an abductee, their mother or their father or both uh, were or are abductees. And um, uh, it starts in childhood, early childhood, and goes on with great rapidity uh, all the way into old age. Uh, so it's something that, um, that that is part of their lives, essentially. So if they say they stopped an abduction uh, let's just say they did. Well, they didn't stop the 50 million other abductions that they had. You know what I mean? It's, and they're going to have afterwards as well or whatever. And, but what they say is, here's a, a, an actual case, for example. And I hear, I've heard cases like this before. Uh, this woman uh, woke up in the middle of the night and she saw these uh, aliens and um, she immediately grabbed her pillow and she threw her pillow at them and they were frightened and they... Uh, they, um, they, they, they departed. They, 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 she, she aborted the, abdu- uh, the abduction. And I've heard other stories similar to that. You know, uh, they said uh, a religious incantation, and, uh, um, and then the, the, the aliens left. And, uh, the, the religious aspect to it is, uh, is, is somewhat popular. What they don't realize, and what I learned was, yes, all that was true. They did give a religious uh, statement to them, and and they left. And they did throw a pillow at them, and they left. But what they didn't realize was it was the end of the abduction event. And they came to they they came to consciousness uh, just uh, a little bit too early, for the aliens had gotten out, and uh, and that's what happened. So we have not actually found uh, a good way of stopping it. Now, having said that. There are ways to stop it. I had one woman truss herself up with string. 
she took off all her clothes. She put string all over her body. She tied it in knots and cut it in tie, tied it knots and uh, all around her legs, through her crotch, through her shoulders, through her, uh, through her back, uh, everywhere. And then she 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 tied each in pieces and knots. And then she told her husband to hide the scissors. Hmm. And uh, she was not abducted. They came to get her, and they would not take her in that condition. And she did that two nights in a row, and then she told, and they, they convinced, they had a bargaining situation. They, she said she would not do this anymore as long as um, she could, she didn't want to be frightened as she was before. They wanted her to, to they wanted, she wanted them to stop her, her fear, and she wanted to remember what happened. And they said, okay, we agree. Okay, so she was abducted the next night, couldn't remember a darn thing, was scared to death. So uh, they did not keep their 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 uh, part of the bargain, and in some way they prevented her from from doing that afterwards as well. So there there might be ways to stop it. There's a guy named Mike Menken, and Michael Menken uh, is on the internet. He makes hats filled with a a special kind of um, uh, well, it's not tinfoil. It's it's in the lining of the cap itself. And it looks like it's just a regular hat and um, like a a baseball cap or something like that. And abductees swear that that it stops abductions because they can't get through the – it's a velofoil or something. I can't remember. They can't get through the the lining that he has put in there. Um, And uh, everything is a matter of control, and people are are controlled neurologically – uh, most of the time during an abduction event. Otherwise, if they weren't controlled, even before the abduction event, they would get out their Glock 9s and blow these little guys' heads off when they entered into their rooms. That would happen if they weren't in control. And they are in control early on. Uh, and they're in control uh, afterwards as well. Uh, so, uh, well, for a few minutes afterwards until you leave, you know. So that doesn't happen, uh, and uh, uh, but but there but for Mike Menken's hat, people say that it is that it stops abductions. Uh, but the problem is for me is that the abduction phenomenon is clandestine; it is secret, and the way in which you begin the secrecy is by keeping it from the uh, abductee himself or herself. So we don't know whether or not they weren't invest, weren't uh, abducted anyway and think that they weren't because they just don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Or, or in fact, they had to take off the hat in some way and then were abducted and then put the hat back on and think they weren't abducted. Uh, I, you know, all those things are, are very difficult to figure out. However, um, Mike is on the right He's, he's in the right sort of world of this because he understands that everything is a matter of neurology. It's all about a matter of, of, of control uh, of a per- person's mind. And uh, if you can stop that, you, you will probably be able to stop abductions. Uh, kind of Why other me. people don't do I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say it kind of reminds me of uh, Paul Benowitz and you know how uh, it seemed like he was subjected to some uh, intense crazy-making and uh, the only thing that saved his sanity for a bit was um, locking himself in the car and basically surrounding himself with a EM shield, which I think was tinfoil. 
Yeah, uh, it, it might it might have stopped an abduction, but you, you don't really know, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, um, uh, I, I don't know if tinfoil will do it, but because uh, <laughs> I don't exactly know the waves that are coming from an ab from from the abductors and going into the abductee's mind. I don't know how that works. Uh, uh, telepathy is not a normal part of the human condition. If we lived in a society where telepathy was a normal part, everything would be different. (laughs) We would live in a totally different world if telepathy was a normal part of our, uh, of our uh, neurology, but it is not. And, uh, and, uh, so, so I, I don't know uh, uh, the ins and outs, so to speak, of whether or not these gadgets work. What we need is a group of scientists who could take off on this with abductees uh, and, 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 and run controlled experiments in some way or another uh, mm-hmm. by having people wear certain headgear or this kind and that kind and whatever and, and seeing what works the best and, and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, that's not going to happen. Not in my lifetime, anyway. Uh, right now, the academic and the scientific community is more hostile to this subject than ever before in history. Not only to the abduction phenomenon, but to UFOs in general. Not since the beginning, since 1947, when, when the UFO phenomenon broke into public consciousness, uh, has there been so much hostility towards the subject uh, within the scientific and academic community. So we have devolved uh, in terms of people looking at ways to stop this rather than uh, evolved. Uh, so it, it, it's a difficult situation all the way around, obviously. David, speaking of uh, being hostile to this idea of alien abduction, uh, there are some people in the UFO community who say all abductions are actually the product of uh, human agencies. Um, similarly, uh, some say that uh, it's human agencies that are conducting through uh, some kind of special technology uh, a kind of a psyop or or um, or mind game on people to make them think that they've been abducted um, in order to create the perception of a either a benevolent alien or also just to project this idea that they're evil aliens when it's it's only um, according to this theory, uh, human agencies and groups that are trying to perpetrate specific uh, crimes and goals. Do you have any thoughts about any of those theories or ideas? Well, it's easy to make a conspiracy out of almost everything unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, uh, All you have to do is think it up. The evidence is not there. That's the best I can say. The evidence is not there. This is a global phenomenon. This would be, ha- I, I worked with a woman uh, from Pakistan and we did some, a couple sessions when she was a young child in Pakistan. They would have had to have gotten to the young child in Pakistan and in some way uh, uh, told them that, uh, some way abducted them or, or, or convinced them that they were, uh, that they had been abducted when they were, when they were six years old or whatever it was. And it's, it, it, it just, it, 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 it makes no sense once you understand what the abduction phenomenon is. It makes no sense whatsoever to me. Uh, um, if, in fact, it's, it's humans who are doing this, I would jump for joy. That would be great. That would be wonderful. I'll take it. 
<laughs> I'd rather have the humans doing it rather than the aliens uh, for, for various reasons. But, um, but it's, uh, I don't, uh, I, I, it's, it, it's just, it, it makes no sense to me. Not, not, not from what people have been telling me. You have to understand that I've worked with people who were also, uh, in the, uh, who were in, in, in wars and, in, 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 you know, in the armed services and Vietnam and this and that. Uh, and uh, one person I worked with was, was abducted while he was in Vietnam. And they'd have to get to him in Vietnam. You know, it just, it, it, once you start looking at the evidence, you realize it doesn't make any sense. That's, that's the best I can say. This is, this is, these are aliens from a technologically advanced other planet, other world or wherever they're from. I don't know. And, um, that makes sense. All the evidence points to that. None of the evidence points away from it. Um, uh, it, it that's the best I can say, I guess. So, so we have the the UFO phenomenon, which is seen as you know pretty strange by many people, and then there's the abduction phenomenon, which is seen as stranger still, and and then we have. Uh, the the topic of your book, uh, which is looking into the hybrid program, which is stranger still, and um, so I guess maybe we can start digging into that subject. Absolutely. Well, you know the the interesting thing about the hybrid uh, situation is, in the very first case ever uncovered. Uh, uh, in the Antonio Villas-Boas case, the illiterate Brazilian peasant, uh, he was made to have, uh, he, he was uncontrollably uh, 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 made, so to speak, to have sex with a human-looking alien, which, of course, was just nuts and uh, 1957 and uh it was it was embarrassing and uh um uh it was and it would it wasn't even published in, in in general literature until uh 1966 because uh it was so crazy in the barney and betty hill case uh they took sperm from from barney who was so embarrassed by this that when a book was written called The Interrupted Journey about it, uh, he had John Fuller, the author, take that part out of the book. Uh, everybody was, uh, uh, um, uh, everybody who had ever said that they had sprinting from them could not, therefore, uh, to, to the satisfaction of UFO researchers, say, well, uh, they picked it up from the, from the Interrupted Journey book from Barney and Betty Hill. They didn't, but it happened to, to Barney. They did. Uh, uh, they stuck a needle in the navel and, of, uh, of uh, Betty, and she said that they told her it was a, it was a pregnancy test. That probably is not what they told her. Uh, that was probably confabulation. But we we know that 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 particular test does have uh, uh, that particular procedure rather does have to do. Uh, uh, probably with taking eggs, uh, uh, and, and the needle is angled off a little bit towards the ovary, we think. Uh, so there's been this reproductive aspect to it from the, from the get-go, from the beginning. And uh, uh, when I wrote uh, The Threat, I talked about these beings who looked sort of human and sort of alien. And some of them looked quite human, in fact. It could, it could sort of pass, even. Um, 
so it's that aspect of it has been with this phenomenon from the beginning. Now, it turns out that Antonio Villas-Boas was not an illiterate Brazilian peasant. He was a law student who became an attorney and maintained the, uh, the truthfulness of a story until he died. To our amazement, in 19, we learned this in the 1980s. <laughs> Everybody just assumed he was uh, just some kid, you know, out of, uh, who didn't know how to read or write and all that. Uh, but in fact... He was saying what everybody else eventually was saying, that uh, that there is a, a reproductive element to this, that there are these beings who are with uh, the gray aliens who sometimes look like they're uh, sort of crosses between aliens and humans, and they look really weird. And, and there's a, a spectrum of them who look human, all the way from looking alien to looking human. Uh, but with uh, and uh, uh, these are the, the hybrids as, as as Bud Hopkins first discovered this, and he's the one who coined the phrase hybrid for this particular type of being. And um, so, uh, uh, and that's what we see in. I'm not going to say 100% of all the incidents, but it's certainly in 90% now or 80%. Uh, it, as time has gone on, it's more and more and more and more that way, although uh, most abductees don't know that it's more and more and more. All they know is what's happening to them, but but that's that's what I found. And so what you have here is actually, it, it this is not a phenomenon where um, we thought originally that they were surveying what we are doing, that they're 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 learning about our society, they're interested in us, uh, and uh, and they're testing us. They 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 grab a few people, they test them, and they find out what makes them tick, and they snap their head off their necks and see what's inside, put their head back on, or whatever they do, and um, yeah, because they're interested, see, it's all medical interest or or whatever. That concept simply did not hold. That, that, that was not a concept. It was something that, that, that we attached onto it as what we thought was happening, but the evidence for it ultimately was not there. Uh, and when people are taken and they're put on, on a table uh, and they, these gray aliens work on them, they're not examining them like a doctor would examine us. In fact, everything that they do to abductees is unknown. We do not know what they're doing. I have a really, really good guess. One of the guesses is that... Um, is one of the procedures is a gray alien will take his thumb and his forefinger and run it down a person's uh, backbone all the way down to the coccyx and back up. And um, one time I was reading uh, uh, this book, uh, looking through a book about uh, neurological examinations, and I was looking at the sympathetic neural uh, system that ran down the spine, and I realized that uh, the neuro, neuro, that the nerve endings towards the coccyx control sexual function, and they 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 were particularly uh, uh, involved with running their fingers up and down those those uh, uh, the, the the neurons uh, uh, and neural pathways and all that through the coccyx, and uh, I realized that this was a neurological examination uh, more than anything else that they. As Hopkins, but Hopkins pointed out once, you know, they never listen to anybody's heart. 
They're not, not concerned with whether a person is going to live or die because of their heart. Uh, and, uh, um, and there's other things that just nothing makes sense in these things. But they do not tell the abductees what they're doing ever. When technology is used, when there's a, uh, uh, um, an, a machine that they're placed inside of or a machine that goes over them or a machine that peers down at them, they don't know what that is. I, we know absolutely nothing about the technology involved with the examination, in quotes, or what these beings are doing, except a guess of the neurological uh, aspects uh, of the of the, uh, in the in the in the spine. Uh, and so, other than that, we know absolutely nothing. After all these years, and after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of accounts uh, of these events. We still know nothing because they don't say anything and people don't guess. And if they guess, they I know it's a guess. They'll tell me I'm going to guess it's this or something like that. But even if they think they know, I know that they don't because the, abduct, the aliens simply do not say anything. So we're, we don't know anything about that. However, what I found over the years is that gray aliens are there, but hybrids have been doing more, excuse me, <clears throat> more and more of of this <clears throat> kind of examination, and um, hybrids have been seen more and more, and hybrids have been dealing with abductees on the ground more and more, and uh, by the uh, time I finished uh, the uh, the book, the threat, uh, um, uh, after I right after I finished it, I was seeing uh, hybrids doing entire abduction events, tables and this and that and everything with no gray aliens around even. And uh, although that's unusual, but I have did have those kinds of cases. And I knew that, um, that, that obviously that the hybrid phenomenon was part and parcel of the abduction phenomenon. Uh, and I've learned that ultimately that, that because this is global, that this is a situation whereby um, they are creating hybrids for every society in the world. This is this is a what you're looking at here is a hybrid making factory, in essence, on board these UFOs. Now the question is, why are they doing that? <laughs> and uh, of course. Um, this is the question that, that, that became the ultimate question. Why are they making hybrids? Why are they creating hybrids? Uh, and we know that, that sperm is taken from men, eggs are taken from women. We know that we knew this from early, early on that, uh, that, uh, uh, there's something altered when they take the sperm and the egg, not necessarily from the same people, uh, but, uh, they take sperm and egg, they join them together and then they do something. Uh, to the uh, zygote, I guess they add alien DNA. I, I will say, not knowing whether aliens have DNA or what they're doing, but they're doing something that makes that that appears to be alien DNA. They're putting it back into the woman's uterus, and then they take it out after eleven or twelve weeks. It's only a couple of inches uh, long, then maybe three inches or so, and. Um, and they put it into a gestation tank with a brown nutrient 
uh, uh, fluid in it where these babies grow to be taken out and, uh, at, at around a normal baby taken out age, nine months or so. And, uh, and then we, uh, people describe them, uh, um, as uh, young children, as, as babies, and they have to hold babies and feed babies, uh, and, uh, sometimes paint a brown nutrient solution, uh, over the baby's bodies. Uh, uh, we've seen them as older, uh, kids, uh, uh, toddlers, uh, you know, two, three years old, uh, playing. Uh, and, uh, older, um, uh, uh, from, from that, they see them all the way up into adolescence on board the UFO and sometimes into young adulthood as well. Some of them will see them as, as sort of special hybrids, what I call a personal project hybrid, a cumbersome phrase, uh, where a hybrid will adopt, so to speak, uh, a human uh, early on. You know, let's just say when 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 the human is like uh, ten years old or twelve years old or, or even earlier, and sometimes a little bit older, and stay with that person for the rest of their lives. Uh, uh, and they'll see that person. They'll see that the the, the abductee will see that hybrid. Over and over again, the hybrid might come into their uh, apartments or their homes, and um, there's sexual involvement here to a certain extent. Uh, and uh, sometimes the the abductee will like this this hybrid quite a bit. Sometimes they hate this hy- hybrid, and there's everything in the middle as well. But that hybrid sticks with this person for years and years and years and years and years. I can't say forever because I haven't worked with people forever, but um, but for for many many years. Uh, and so uh, what I've learned is that all of these hybrids are created for a specific task. The ones who look quite alien take care of babies. Uh, now, this is not hard and fast, but this is basically what they do. And the ones who look more human take care of uh, more human-looking hybrids. And uh, the ones who look quite human take care of hybrids who might eventually uh, uh, move here and pass for normal. And uh, so they all, it's not that they were just given a job. They, that's what they were created for. That's what the, that's how their brains function. That's the, that's that's the, what they do. The distinction between those two uh, types of hybrids, the ones that look less human versus the ones that look more human, uh, the latter are what you call hybrids. Is that that well, the distinction? Right. The final result is to create humans who look human in every way imaginable. Whereas what I call humanoid ones uh, who, who are, are personal project hybrids, they might have some sort of physical flaw, like there's no uh, bodily hair, or their eyes are just a little bit too big uh, uh, to be out in the public, or something like that. Uh, but um, the hybrids, it's just a combination of human and hybrid, that's all. But I, I use that in, 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 in Walking Among Us 
to differentiate from all the other from from all the other stages of hybridization that they have. And so uh, these are the ones who will be moving into apartments and homes and and living here. And uh, they are human in absolutely every way imaginable, except for one minor, itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little way. And that is, they can control humans neurologically, and we cannot control them. They can make humans think, feel, see anything that they want neurologically. They can do it from a distance, just like all the aliens can and all the hybrids can. That part is left intact. That is frightening. That is extremely scary because we have, right now, we have no way to stop them from controlling humans. Uh, and uh, um, those are the ones who I, who people began to tell me starting in 2003, who are moving into into the society. Uh, um, and so, uh, so what you've got is a spectrum of alien, of hybrids who look quite alien. And when I say alien, I mean gray alien, not insect-like ones who I think are the ones who are in charge of the, of the production, but, um, or reptilian ones who had their, have their place in the production as well. But, uh, but the, these, uh, uh, from, they, they look from, uh, uh, like gray aliens, DNA in some way, and uh, and all there's a spectrum that goes all the way to human hybrid, as I call them, <clears throat> and um, neurologically they're all the same. But in the outward looking, you cannot tell the difference between them and us. And I don't like hearing that. I don't know why. It just upsets me. I don't know why. <laughs> it's it, it's a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, understatement. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've said this before, and this is true. Uh, starting in, in 2003, when this, when I began to realize what was happening here, uh, when I would do a session with somebody, and, and I, I hate to say this, but I, I'm hearing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Now that's good because you're looking for patterns. But um, so when I do hypnosis with abductee, which is which is just the the simple relaxation techniques, uh, I, I I don't I don't consider myself a hypnotist. I, I just do this relaxation business and that's it. But um, uh, when 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 I do that. I get kind of relaxed myself, you know, and uh, so they start uh, talking about these things that are happening to them that I've heard hundreds of times, and the only thing that runs through my mind is, stay awake, stay awake, don't fall asleep, stay awake, stay awake, <laughs> stay awake, don't fall asleep, trying to keep myself with my eyes, or trying to keep my eyes open, and sometimes they will say something that I that captures my attention. Something I haven't heard before, some little detail or something. And I start thinking about it and thinking about it. And I'm thinking really, really hard about it. And I realized I have fallen asleep. And I wake up. Uh, uh, what happens next? I say, you know, what happens next? And so um, and I think, oh, God, I can't, I, can't, I can't allow that to happen. And but but I've heard these stories so often that my mind just starts to wander. Um, but that's very important. It's important to hear those stories over and over again, obviously. 
because if it's if it's a, if it's an outlier, you just put it on the back burner, waiting for somebody else to confirm it. And if nobody else confirms it, no matter how interesting it is, it's still sort of an outlier. Um, so, uh, in starting in two thousand and three, uh, a guy told me something I hadn't heard before. Now, I had heard of hybrids coming down and uh, having sex with abductees and uh, and staying and looking around their apartment and this and that. These would be the personal project hybrids almost always. Uh, but he, this guy told me that he, this is around our fourth session, he said he just remembered that he had a friend. And his friend was not only just a friend, it was his best friend. And they did everything together. They had been on uh, to dinner. Now the guy's married and had kids, but uh, but uh, uh, they'd gone to dinner together. They'd gone to foreign countries together. They they he had taken them to a baseball game. Uh, he did this. He did that. He was his best friend, and he just remembered that he knew this guy. He did not know the guy's last name. He didn't know the guys where the guy if the guy was married or not, if the guy worked or not, where the guy lived. Didn't know anything about the guy. Didn't know where the guy was born. Didn't know anything. But he was his best friend. He told me, <laughs> which of course makes no sense. It's senseless. And so I listened to several of accounts of what what he and this best friend were doing, and uh, I call them Bernard and Eric, I guess, in in the uh, in my book. And um, but it's it, that's an outlier to a certain extent. So I waited for other people to say similar things. Now it's not going to be exactly the same, but it's going to be similar. And then another person began to say things like that, and then another person, and then another person, and it all had to do with teaching a hybrid what life was like on Earth, and that's what Bernard did with Eric. He taught him about all sorts of things, about what life was like here. For example, he was washing his car one day. He went to one of those do-it-yourself, uh, you know, a dollar and a quarter washing uh, uh, places, you know, car wash places. And uh, the uh, suddenly, Eric was there. And he said, what are you doing? And the guy said, well, I'm uh, washing my car. Well, why are you doing that? Oh, well, because the car gets dirty and it get, you know, can get, you can ruin the paint and this and that and rust. And, uh, well, what are you doing now? Well, I'm rubbing off the uh, water. Well, why, why are you doing that? You know, this, all these why questions. Conversation is one way only. The, the, uh, hybrid asks questions. The abductee answers. That's the way the conversation is. And, um, and he had several conversations like this with him before they became even closer friends. And his job, uh, Bernard's job, was to instruct this guy about everything, and uh, which he did do. And uh, then other people began to tell me about instructing high, uh, hubris, as I call them now, the ones who are actually living here. Uh, on on how to live here and how to be here and how to how to talk to people and how to do this and how to do that and how to furnish their apartments and uh, and I began to realize this is different now in the threat abductees told me that that these gray aliens were telling them that soon there was going to be a change 
soon a change was going to come around and everybody would be happy. Everybody would know his place. And the change was going to be wonderful. Uh, now, the question is, what did they mean by everybody? My guess is they meant them, themselves, not, <laughs> yeah. not humans. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that this change was coming. So I, I asked people, well, what is the change? What is the change? What, what they, do they know what it is? No, nope, nobody knew what that meant. I said, well, what do you mean by soon? Because soon is a non-word. It could mean 10 seconds from now. It could mean 10,000 years from now. We don't know. what It's, it's a relative word that means nothing. So uh, nobody knew what the word soon meant. But they were saying this. At the same time, they were having uh, abductees. Uh, this, I, as I remember, I put this in the thread also. Look at a picture. I go into a room, and there's a, a picture on the wall of a, of a, a barbecue. It's one of the ones I put in the um, – of a picnic. I'm sorry. Uh, this is in the threat where there's people uh, throwing a ball around, kids throwing a ball around. There's there's people uh, at a grill. There's it's a regular barbecue in a park, just normal, absolutely average. And they hear you know, tele- telepathically, can you tell the difference between you and us? And the abductee looks at it and says, what do you mean difference? There's no difference whatsoever. Everybody looks the same, you know. And they say, see, isn't that wonderful? Pretty soon uh, there's going to be this change. Everybody, Everybody's going to be together. It's going to be wonderful. It's just going to be, you're going to love it and that sort of stuff. And I, I heard several of these things. Uh, and I thought, this does not sound so good to me. <laughs> In Walking Among Us, what uh, it's it's sort of the next phase. And I, I don't know if it's the last phase, but it's the next phase. And now what, what we're, we're, what I've been hearing is like Bernard, uh, hybrids living here and abductees instructing them on everything. Now, you have to go back. Abductees have been instructing hybrid children, as it turns out, as we now know, from the get go, from the time that they were very young. Uh, and in one of the little stories, I didn't fully understand all the implications of it, but one of the ones that I put in the threat was um, uh, a woman who's standing in front of a bunch of like six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or whatever. And um, on the wall, there's an image of a dog. And they would they asked her, what's a dog for? Because there are no dogs on board UFOs, you know. <laughs> and she said, uh, well, it's for companionship and uh, love, and they, you, know, you get to play with them and this and that. Do you eat dogs? No, 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 no. We don't eat dogs. Don't eat dogs. Except, of course, in China. She didn't say that, but uh, she didn't know. <laughs> but um, uh, the next picture is a goat. What's a goat for? Well, you get milk from a goat, can make it into cheese, you know. Do you eat goats? And then she said, well, she's a vegetarian, so she doesn't. But some people do, yeah. So uh, so they were instructing them about things on Earth. And they would instruct them about all sorts of things on Earth, all sorts of things. When they get to Earth, that means nothing. Suddenly they are struck with a million things, and that's probably not an exaggeration, that they have never been confronted with before on how to live on Earth in real life. And uh, abductees teach them how to do everything after that. 
Now, sometimes they come down to abductees' homes as children themselves, and they get a tour of the kitchen, what a kitchen is, what a refrigerator is, what a stove is, what an ice cube is, things like that. Uh, and, and they'll get a, a, sometimes they'll come down a little bit older to people's homes and groups and they'll, and show, uh, and an abductee will teach them what a television is and, and, and what's on television and, and, and different channels and things like that. And, uh, but even then, when they finally move in, the amount of information that they have not learned is enormous. And so abductees spend a tremendous amount of time teaching them what it's like to live here in daily life. And, and, uh, and that's what walking among us is, is all about. And, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's fascinating. It's wonderful. It's scary. Well, reading through the accounts of, uh, different abductees experiences with these hubrids, it's, it's uh it, it strikes you that the psychological process that these hubrids have is is very um alien <laughs> and uh, and and very superficial uh, it seems like that they, they have very little uh self-awareness or awareness of the environment um or abstract thinking uh, ability to critically think about things um their mentality comes across as as like a you know a, a child's even if they may look like they're say in their twenties and it's to the point where it's it's you get like frustrated with uh, these these very simplistic uh, questions that are you know asked over and over and over again so you know it, it seems that they are you know lacking um, even if they have some human element uh, there seems something very significant uh, absent. Uh, internally well yes and no my sense is that they're that they're actually quick learners that they remember everything Mm -hmm. uh that uh um being superficial is correct because they have no idea how to be uh they don't know how to be not superficial they they uh, they were bred to look the same here and to live here but um uh the depth of their ability to deal with other humans is I'm not sure. I don't know of how much um, uh, um, empathy they have for people. Uh, you know, uh, the, how they're destroying people's lives to a large extent. I'm not sure that they're aware of that. Um, and I'm, I don't know how much in the abstract they can think. My guess is that, that they can learn all that. Uh, they have excellent brains, uh, in my opinion, excellent. However, uh, they do not understand things like humor. Mm-hmm. There's no humor on board. They uh, on a UFO. They can't understand irony. They can't understand sarcasm. That in, te- in a telepathic society, those things don't exist. You can't speak to a uh, hybrid, say one thing and raise your one eyebrow, meaning something else altogether, you know, like you're not really supposed to believe what I'm saying. And you can just have it in your voice like I'm saying it right now, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they don't know what you mean. (laughs) They can't. Spoken language is so different for them. Uh, from from telepathy with telepathy you can't lie and uh, everything is just straight on 
and um, and like I said, they don't understand humor. And lots of people talk with humor all the time. They don't get it. Uh, and uh, 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 so the the nuances of, of having a spoken language is one of the greatest uh, obstacles that they have to deal with. When people teach them how to drive, they learn how to drive real quickly. They have to teach them what signs mean and why there are signs there and what streets are, where streets go to, that sort of stuff, and how you can't drive, you have to drive in a sp- specific lane, and, and and you can't drive too fast, and you can't drive too slow, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, there's one account that I have in in uh, in, in Walking Among Us. <clears throat> this woman, Betsy, was brought to a, uh, a parking lot in a in a soon-to-be-demolished area uh, of the town that she lived in, of the small city that she lived in. So there was uh, there was a couple of cars parked in this parking lot. It was a small parking lot, and most of the other stores were abandoned. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the, the buildings were going to be torn down uh, around them. So she goes there. There's a couple of cars parked in the parking lot, and there's uh, uh, a group of, um, of hubrids who are waiting there, young, uh, and a security hybrid. Now, once hybrids come down to live, I've learned that security for them goes sky high through the roof and into another planet. I mean, it just goes. It's, you can't imagine how uh, how strong security is when a hybrid is on the ground. So. Um, uh, uh, that that will be a whole other book I'll be writing about later on. But um, her job was to teach these uh, young uh, uh, hybrids how to uh, how to drive with her car. So she gets into one car, and she gets into her car rather in the passenger seat, and she has to instruct this guy who's about eighteen years old or seventeen years old how to. How to, you know, put it, you put it in gear, you have to do this, you have to slowly move out of the parking space. She was actually, the, the car had nosed into a side of a building uh, so that um, she had to that, pull out first. And, um, and <clears throat> she did this uh, for a while. And one guy, uh, maybe it was the first one now that I remember, uh, put his foot on the, on the gas too hard and turned the wheel so the car flew out of this parking space in reverse and 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 he slammed on the brakes it went into an arc around almost hitting a, a, the other cars that were there and it was so she had an adrenaline surge when that happened that she snapped out of her stupor so to speak out of her out of the control of the aliens. And she said, she looked around and said, where the hell am I? What am I doing? I've got to get out of here. She opened the door and uh, she went, she walked really fast um, uh, uh, into a, a, an empty lot that was right next to the parking, uh, parking lot, which had scrub grass on it and bushes and that kind of stuff. And they ran after her and brought her under control again. And so, but, but she, she was out of control for a few minutes uh, and that happens every once in a while. Uh, every once in a while, somebody on board a UFO will get loose and run down a hallway. I've had to ha- I've had that happen to to several people I've worked with. They run down a hallway and uh, they it's the adrenaline rush that does it. Um, uh, and I've learned uh, that you know people 
people, this is uh, now a side, side thing back on the tables again. When people feel extreme pain, they, they stop the pain right away and they think it's because they don't want uh, people to be hurt. My guess is they don't want an adrenaline rush to the people. Mm-hmm. It snaps right. them out of it. Uh, so, um, but, uh, but that she taught, uh, then she taught another one how to drive. She taught another one how to drive. And essentially that was it. And, uh, and then she would go off on, on driving with, with, with them every once in a while. But I think to myself, well, supposing they're stopped by the police and they don't have a driver's license. Well, that's not a problem. The policeman will come over to them and, uh, say, um, you know, you were doing 50 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. And then the per- the, the uh, police will say to himself, the policeman will say, oh, I guess he wasn't. I must have been wrong. Well, goodbye. These are not the drones you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, uh, um, so this is the neurological control coming into it. Now, there are other problems here. What about a passport? What about a birth certificate? Well, those things can be, I think, arranged in some way. Uh, if, if they go out of the country, they don't have to go by uh, airplane. They can go another way <laughs> um, through their friends in the sky. Um, but there's no reason to go to another country. They got hybrids in other countries too. So, uh, uh, but but yet, you know, without any kind of papers of any sort, you think they'd run into trouble? And I don't know how that has uh, gotten around yet. I don't, I, I, I haven't learned that. Well, David, didn't, didn't you say, or don't you say in your book that these, um, these hubrids seem like, like you mentioned, they seem to have pretty much everything in common with just ordinary humans, except for those uh, certain neurological or mental abilities, which might include like that control influence, that, inf- that ability to control and influence people. Which does can which does include that yes absolutely yeah. they can control people and we can't control them right so if they don't have a passport you know they I, I I presume they might be able to just say well I don't need a passport and I mean that's totally possible I I'm rem- I'm reminded of I think it was what what was the guy Richard Reed the shoe bomber or it was one of those one of those mm-hmm. you know bomber guys I think it was in underwear Amsterdam bomber. the underwear bomber and he he got onto his flight I think it was in the Netherlands without a passport. And he was he was escorted there by some you know well dressed looking man. But I mean, it's a I'm not trying to you know imply anything about that incident, but just saying it's possible and um, it's happened before. So yeah, it it is possible. It does happen. Um, uh, uh, but also there's the, there's the problem of a birth certificate. You know, now they could always do what criminals do, and that is find a, a, a child who died a, at birth or something like that, take that particular name, and then apply for a a, uh, a birth certificate or whatever. I suppose I, I'm not sure. Saying they lost their birth certificate, I, I don't know, but they, they 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 might be able to do something like that. But my guess is that these things are just minor, minor irritants on the way to doing whatever they're going to do later on. And uh, so uh, and I don't know the answers to all those things because they haven't come up with um, with abductees. And therefore, I, I, all, all I can do is just guess. And, I, I, you know, I, I, I guesswork is, 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 is a tough one because, you know, you're going to be wrong most of the time. David, in Walking Among Us, um, you discuss the... A kind of a hierarchy of uh, different um, ETs that are working on this project aboard the ships, and 
and one of the the um, the recollections, an abductee was brought into a room and heard this little kind of pep talk given by a insectolin, as you call it, um, who uh, sounded really arrogant and um, and tried to kind of uh, impart this feeling that all the abductees uh, who were present were lucky to be part of this. Uh, this great project that they were running. Um, I wonder yeah, if you could yeah. talk a little bit about that and, and who, you know, what these different, um, a little bit about the hierarchy that exists on these ships. Well, yeah, the hierarchy is in my, from what I've, I've learned. Uh, and once again, I'm, I, I'm, I'm certainly open to being wrong, but in, in my opinion, <clears throat> the, the insect like ones are the ones in charge. Uh, they give orders Everybody else takes orders. Uh, now, orders are, are, you have to understand that, that the, the, each type of being is bred for a specific reason. Their brains are focused on doing whatever their, their brains tell them to do because their brains have been, have been modified to do just one thing, essentially. Uh, it might be a big thing, like great aliens do an awful lot of things, but that's what they do, and that's all they do. And they come down, they get people, and they bring them up, and they do this and they do that. But they're not the ones who are directing the event. That's this. Their job is to work twenty four seven doing this. Um, but um, but the insect like ones uh, apparently are the ones who who are 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 in charge. And then there's the reptilian-like ones. Now, uh, because of David Icke or whoever else, uh, the reptilian-like ones uh, are, are all the rage these days on the in the internet. Uh, they're horrible. They're terrible. Or they're they they come from the uh, they're, they're biblical mentions and this. And, uh, my guess is they have a completely different role altogether. <clears throat> um, my sense is, once again, I just don't have, I just haven't gotten this. But these insect-like ones do not come down and get people. They don't abduct people. Gray aliens and hybrids do uh, all the abductions that I've looked at in all these years. Uh, uh, large, you know, sometimes six foot tall, very thin uh, looking praying mantis type ones don't come down and abduct people from what I, from my own research. Uh, so, uh, the uh, reptilian ones, uh, then are follow and then the gray aliens and, uh, there's tall and small, uh, the taller ones do more, the, the more complicated procedures for people on, on, on tables. Uh, the smaller ones do more of the grunt work. They, they squire people around from room to room. Uh, uh they, uh, come down and get people. They, um, will clean up. If somebody uh, urinates or defecates on the floor or something like that, they they, they will clean up. Uh, they um, uh, and do other things like that. Uh, then comes uh, uh, what I call early stage hybrids, and then there's a spectrum of hybrids, and all of them are bred for a a uh, um, a reason. Also, they all have their jobs that are embedded in their minds, and then uh, you come to humanoid ones who can become personal project hybrids, uh, who can control people who live on board UFOs who don't live here. Then there's human ones and human ones are, uh, security hybrids. 
they look human, but they have a one-track mind only. They only think about security, and they are incapable of not thinking about security. That is what they were bred for. That's what their neurology is all about. That's what they do. Therefore, they are not going to be living here. I mean, as blending into society. They might, in fact, live on their own in an apartment, but their job is to only protect other hybrids and make sure that abductees are not tattling on them, are not telling people like me, for example, what's happening. That puts hybrids at risk. That cannot be allowed. That will not be allowed. And so they do everything imaginable to get the abductee to stop uh, talking to me or to other abductees or uh, to other researchers or whatever. Um, so you've got the spectrum of aliens all the way down to these hubrids, all of whom have their specific functions. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the insectolins, oddly, although gray aliens will sometimes engage, uh, there'll be an engagement in conversation with, with, a, with a human that happens every once in a while with, with an abductee. The insectolins actually, if there's ever any discussion with them, they actually talk a little bit more than most other of the aliens. They actually uh, will, uh, will talk more with abductees and will even answer some questions sometimes. Uh, most aliens will not answer questions. Um, and uh, 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 so it, 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 it's, it's complicated, and yet there is a pecking order. Now then there's the reptilians. And like I said, it's on the internet. It's it's all it's a hundred percent reptilians, a hundred percent of the time. It seems mm-hmm. mainly because of a, a guy named David Ike. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, I, I don't I don't read this kind of stuff. To, uh, but um, logically, this is what probably happened. I do not know this. I'm guessing this. This is speculation. When they first came here. And they began the abduction program. If the insectolins don't abduct people themselves, they had to bring a workforce from another planet or from wherever, from their own planet, from somewhere, to do that. They had to have a workforce with them. And from that workforce, they started abducting people. The reptilins did, I think, I guess. And... Um, once they started abducting humans and taking human DNA, taking eggs and sperm, they began to create gray aliens. And the reason I think that is because gray aliens really look, I mean, they're the definition of alien. They're small, they're gray, they got giant eyes, uh, they got two holes for nose, they got a slit for mouth, they got holes for ears. Okay, black eyes, big black eyes. I can I can see that. That's alien. Okay, they got to have holes in their ears. You know, if something falls over, they have to be able to look over and see what happened. And that's 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 functional for them. Okay, they got to have holes for a nose. All right, if they smell something broke and they smell an odor, okay, that I'll go for that. But they don't need a mouth. They do not speak. They do not eat through their mouths. They do not have tongues. 
They do not breathe. There is no reason on this earth or in this space or in this galaxy for them to have a slit for a mouth. That's why I think that it's it's human DNA that 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 actually uh, uh, they they use to create gray aliens. Uh, just a pinch here and a pinch there, and uh, and the gray aliens are are, are created. Uh, but I might be wrong about that. Of course, I'm I'm guessing here because they don't say. Um, therefore. Uh, what you then have is the creation, the continual creation of an ever-expanding workforce of gray aliens and hybrids are obviously part of humans. Um, and when when you take a look at, at this workforce, I, I, I often wondered, why is this intergenerational, global, and secretive. It's around the world. It's clandestine. It's secretive. And I boiled it down to one sentence in the book. And it's, it's an inarguable sentence, an unarguable sentence, or a non-arguable sentence. I'm not sure which. Mm-hmm. But the sentence is, they don't want us to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. You can't get past that. Because if they were benevolent and all the rest of that stuff. We'd know what they were doing. They would be happy. We would be wanting to meet them. We'd be embracing them. They don't want us to know what they're doing because they might get us angry or upset or whatever, obviously. Uh, they might might suddenly, uh, um, have, we, we might figure out a way to stop this, mm-hmm. for example. So, uh, um there's a certain ominous quality to the global clandestine and intergenerational nature of it. Now, here's one of the problems. Years ago, I thought to myself, well, if we have, you know, if everybody who's an abductee actually has a mother or father an abductee, if it's an intergenerational, then eventually, if that's to say, if the population stays essentially the same, uh, how long will it be for everybody to be an abductee? I had a PhD mathematician work it out because I am a math idiot and I count on my fingers, and that is true. <laughs> um, then um, he said, well, it would take like three generations or something like that, or seven generations, several generations, whatever it was, I can't remember. So I, I, if we if we boil it into, into eight generations, and then you have to think, what is a generation? A hundred years ago, a generation was 20 years. Now it's like 30 to 35 years. So even given that, if the phenomenon started in the 14th century, by the 17th century or 18th century, everybody on earth would be an abductee. You see? And uh, uh, so it, it couldn't have started that far back. And if it started in the uh, in the 20th century, uh, by the 22nd century, uh, you know, by, if it started in, 20, in 2000, then by... 2000 and uh, whatever, you know, everybody be an abductee. But the problem here is I was wrong. The problem is that we are in a population explosion. It's going on even as we speak. Uh, When I was born, there were 2.3 billion people on Earth. There are now um, 7.4 billion people on Earth. That's an enormous number of people in my lifetime, 
and I'm only 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm 73. I was born in 1942. Um, and um, consequently, this what it, what I realize is that the intergenerationality of the phenomenon keeps up with the population growth. So you're having an expanding number of abductees as the population grows because it's intergenerational. So if somebody is an, uh, an abductee and, and marries a non-abductee and they have two kids or three kids or 20 kids, all those kids will be abductees. And if they all get married and have 20 kids each, then uh, I don't know how many number that is, but there's, there's a lot of kids there who are going to be abductees. Uh, and so the populations, so the abductee population is expanding. That means that the UFO numbers have to expand as do aliens have to expand to keep, to counter, to keep in touch with the expanding human population because abductees are expanding. And consequently, what you get is this enormous growth of abductees and aliens and the, the craft they travel in, UFOs, expanding around the world. By definition, it has to be that way. And so uh, what that all means is that uh, these beings are serious. <laughs> this is, we are looking at an absolutely colossal phenomenon. That the, this, is, this is something that is extraordinarily important, far more important than simply discovering that there's life out there other than us. This is, the, the implications of all this are, are staggering. Uh, it, it's hard to get your mind around all the implications of, of what is going on. Now, people say, no, 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 no. UFOs don't exist at all. And, of course, the academic uh, community says that. Uh, they laugh at it. They're still, they, they still laugh at UFO, at the UFO phenomenon, at the outside shells of objects that people see all the time. Even though the evidence for UFOs is unbelievably enormous. Mm -hmm. We have every conceivable kind of evidence we can possibly have, except now everybody's going to disagree with me about this, except having one in, in that we can look at and study. Everybody, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about Roswell, and so may, maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. But the fact is, though, that, uh, that aside from that, We've got films and, and eight millimeter and 16 millimeter and 32 millimeter and, and pictures and tapes of, of UFOs. We've got people's, the, uh, the minister, the rabbi and, and, uh, uh, um, another cleric, let's just say, uh, um, uh, seeing a UFO from different angles on the ground and one throwing a rock at it and it bounces off it. And I, I mean, and these are, this solid people and, and scientists have seen UFOs and it's just, it's unbelievable how much we know about the UFO phenomenon by looking at the outside shells of those objects. Hmm. We know all about their maneuvers. We know all about their color changes at night. We all we know all about their lights. We know all about how they can, they can fly away at fantastic speeds. We know all about everything there is to know about them. And we learned all that by the late 1970s. 
books were written about their their uh, their effects on UFOs effects on humans, their effects on animals, their effects on the environment, on vegetation, you know, uh, on, uh, on on the ground when they land, and there's there's compression tests taken. They're heavy, and uh, you know, UFOs on the ground is it's common. People see them all, all the time. And there's the the residue of them uh, left there, the the round rings and all that, and uh, consequently, um, there's only so much you can learn about the subject. Yeah. And uh, with the abduction phenomenon, you're getting inside the UFOs and you're going directly to the matter of intent. And you can't do that by looking at the outside shells. You can't do that. And yet, right. most people still. It's it's easy to do. I, after all, I was a UFO uh, researcher myself for years, and uh, it's 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 important to do because it shows you that there is still a tremendous number of UFOs around, and it builds more evidence for it. And I respect all that, and, and I you have to have people doing that. But in fact, people have uh, have turned now more towards government research and, and seeing what the government knows and what it doesn't know and all the rest of that stuff, and it moves away a little bit from the abduction. Uh, phenomenon from the UFO phenomenon itself, and it goes more, as I said, towards towards the government reaction to it. Uh, but um, uh, but the fact is, is that it's also been on television quite a bit over the years, and nothing has happened. And the scientific and academic community just looks at the whole thing and says, "Well, you know, I got better things to do, and uh, uh, and the, the the evidence isn't fully there yet." and and uh, besides that, everybody is crazy. <laughs> That's what they say. Well, David, um, they can't. Yes. Or, do you want to finish your thought? Well, I'm about to say they can't fully understand the massiveness of the evidence for UFOs. Once they do that, they would get interested in the abduction phenomenon. Mm -hmm. That has not happened. It's all sort of uh, gone away in a sense. And astronomers will understand that there is probably life out there. Now, when astronomers think of life, what they think of is uh, um, amoebas uh, floating around on the water or uh, um, uh, uh, creepy crawly things in the water or some creepy crawly things outside of the water. That's when they think of life because it took a billion years or whatever it was for life to come out of the oceans here on Earth. So they're looking at, our, at us as, as, as that's the only way life will ever evolve. Um, maybe that's true. But the fact is, though, that um, uh, it is not possible for us to be the only life in, that's technologically advanced in our galaxy. Now, I'm not talking about the universe, just in our galaxy. It is simply not possible. To say that we are the only technologically advanced life is crazy. It's much crazier than saying that there's lots and lots of life out there, most of which is technologically advanced, or many of which most scientists think that's crazy, but they are dead wrong. It's not logical. If we have technology, there's got to be millions of other Earths out there that have technology. And since our technology is brand new, not even a flicker of an eyelash, uh, of, of shutting an eyelid uh, uh, in geologic or cosmic time, even mm -hmm. if you say it's 
200 years old, it's brand new. And if you say it's 5,000 years old, it's well within the brand new range. That most, most people who have technology, most beings are going to be advanced. It has to be that way. It can't be any other way. And uh, scientists don't think that way for reasons that escape me. It's, it's reasonless. It's illogical. It's stupid. <laughs> and, okay. Well, they well, said, uh, David, we're we're about ten minutes till uh, till our planned end of the show. We might run a few minutes extra, but I just wanted to ask a few of our uh, listener and forum questions, if that's all right with you. Um, you can give short answers if you want, or you can expand where you where you think it might be necessary. Uh, first of all, this is from a reader on our forum, and they ask if you have heard from any of your um, abductees that you work with about um, implants, and if so, what uh, have have either the abductees or any of the aliens involved given any indication of the purpose of those implants? And if they've found them, have you tried to deal with them somehow? Right, uh, all uh, abductees probably have an implant. Uh, the, the 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 three most um, <clears throat> three best places for them to be placed, if I can use that, uh, the most common places are uh, through the sinus cap, through the nose, uh, through the cartilage, and into the, uh, 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 probably near the pituitary gland. That's the most common one of all. People sneeze them out every once in a while. Little balls, sometimes with spikes on them, sometimes not. Um, through the ear, uh, through, the, uh, through the eardrum itself, and uh, sometimes leaving a little scar tissue and uh, near the brain uh, where we don't, don't exactly know. And sometimes uh, we see them through a tear duct into a, a sinus cavity. After that, they can be seen sort of all over the place, uh, uh, people's legs, arms, hands, fingers, whatever, uh, through uh, behind the ear. Um, and, and there was a guy, uh, uh, Roger Lear, uh, who was a podiatrist who began studying implants he put together a team of, uh, of surgeons who removed things on people's arms and legs and all that. Uh, you can't you can't remove something. You, you don't want to saw somebody's head open, you know, to to find an implant. Uh, that 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 would be a, a difficult thing to do. Most people would not want to have that happen to them. But um, uh, uh, but they did things. They they found some very interesting things uh, of. of about a few of these. What they're for, we still don't know. Uh, one implant seemed to react in some way to metal being placed towards it. I don't know what that means. Roger, unfortunately, died uh, just right at the height of his of his research in this area. Uh, he did not die under suspicious uh, circumstances or anything like that. And um, uh, so... Uh, but we do not know what these what these implants are for. As I said originally, when it comes to technology, we know absolutely nothing. We know absolutely nothing. And the implants are technology. We have no knowledge of what they're for. My guess is they are extremely sophisticated uh, devices that carry. They have, obviously, people say uh, um, a location device. Well, maybe that. Maybe not. I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. I tend to think not, but I think maybe they have medical records in them. What has been done to this abductee, and if they move to uh, um, 
uh, uh, Tierra del Fuego, uh, then maybe the groups of uh, aliens down there who are uh, covering the Tierra del Fuego region would know exactly what has happened to this person in the past and what needs to be done in the future or whatever. Uh, that's that's just a guess, but I don't know. Nobody knows. Mm. Uh, you'd, you'd think somebody, you'd think that because of hypnosis and relaxation, people will be will be saying things that are not true and you wouldn't be able to pick it up. But people say no, they don't know what it's for all the time, and and they don't they don't guess, they just don't know. So okay. when it comes okay. to technology, we just don't know. And the second question from this um, forum member is: Have any of your clients ever mentioned their souls and alien interest in their souls? Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Easy one there. Five, I've worked with five ministers. No interest whatsoever in religion. They don't know what religion is, basically, uh, or souls or anything like that. Okay, next next question. Um, what do you think of uh, John Keel's work and the hyperdimensional hypothesis for UFOs and aliens? Oh, I read John Keel a hundred years ago. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, John Keel was a person who, uh, well, let's just say he was not fully reliable about the UFO phenomenon. Um, uh, he, uh, uh, he tend, there's a lot of characters around who tended to write uh, sort of anything that came along. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 John Keel would not be a person who was uh, within the legitimate realm of UFO research, in my opinion. But that's just me. What about um, the interdimensional hypothesis in, hypothesis in general? Right. Well, uh, the question is, uh, how, how do they, this scientists say they can't get here from there because even at the speed of light, uh, you, you know, you, you turn into pure energy and you know, it'll still take years and years and years. So you can't get here from there. They don't see that anymore. No, they say, well, because there might be multi-dimensions, they might pop through a, a dimension and come here that way, and that might be true. There might be multi, uh, 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 well, multiverses, and there all these. There, there might be. They can come through a wormhole. There, scientists are revising their idea of how one can travel through space, and and. Uh, but basically, we don't know how they got here. We don't know where they're from. And, you know, the thing is, I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the only thing that matters is, are they here or not? How they got here, I don't know. And I don't care. But why they're here is where the abduction event comes in. Because that gets you inside and gets you into the, the matter of intent. Uh, but uh, the name of their planet, where they come from, what the name of their planet is, uh, who cares? <laughs> so we, they can't tell us the name of their planet if they come from a planet. There's no way they can tell us because there's hundreds and hundreds of stars. My my thought is up there in the universe. There's got to be hundreds. <laughs> or <if you laughs> and watch, each one of those stars has got planets around it. Most of the stars that there's a lot of stars that we have that have names. Mm -hmm. There's a most of them have numbers. They don't know if their star system has a number from our astronomers and they're not going to know what that number is. And the chances of them coming from one of the, I don't know if we've, if we've, if we've already identified thousands of, of uh, ones with numbers, but if they, uh, the chance they can't tell us even if they wanted to, in other words, 
but it doesn't matter. Who cares? I, it's, it's, it's meaningless. And one more, one more uh, question that came up in our chat as a follow-up to the John Keel question. What about Jacques Vallée? And I'm guessing his, his theory of um, like looking back through history and mythology and well, some of his other ideas as well. Yes, and he, I just uh, was with Jacques Vallée, uh, uh, known him for many years, um, uh, at a conference in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he's, uh, he was talking about ancient aliens uh, to a large extent and aliens from the 18th century and the 17th century. And the answer is, as I said before, that uh, the, the evidence for that is really, 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 really slight, really slight. It's, it's basically pictures or people trying to interpret things in the sky at night in the 18th century or the 14th century or whatever it is. And uh, I would be very, very careful with that. We can date the abduction phenomenon with certainty back to the 1920s and with less of a degree of certainty to the last quarter of the 19th century. After that, we cannot date it at all. And, um, uh, and not only that, but remember what I said about the, uh, a static, if we had a static population, everybody and within us uh, several hundred years would already be, uh, an abductee on earth. And, uh, that has not happened. So it can't be that, that far back. We, you got to be very careful with ancient alien stuff. Jacques is a great guy. He's a terrific guy. And, uh, but, uh, I just simply disagree with him about the age of this phenomenon. So the full title of your latest book is Walking Among Us, The Alien Plan to Control Humanity. And um, first of all, I, I just want to thank you uh, for bringing so much uh, humor and, um, and uh, self-awareness to uh, this conversation, David, because w- while reading your book, I had to put it down a few times. It's, um, it's uh, pretty... Even though I've I've read the thread a number of years ago and other UFO literature, um, it's still the implications are, are uh, distressing. They're upsetting. Um, they're disturbing. Uh, I could think of a, a number of adjectives to describe the, the thoughts and the feelings that come up when when reading this material. Um, you've discussed on the show a little bit uh, this change um, that the uh, the hubrids are preparing for have been trained for um, I wonder if you could uh, just give us a kind of summation of where you think all this is going ultimately and what you think this changes and and um, what we might be prepared to see in the future well <clears throat> the Basically, you're asking me what's going to happen in the future, and and uh, uh, I I I don't know whether this is the change or whether this is part of the road to the change that will be later on. Uh, I I I wish I hadn't heard all these things. <clears throat> uh, uh, to tell you the truth, I would much rather have this be a benevolent happy situation where they're here to heal the earth and heal us and, and all that kind of stuff that I hear all the time. And I, I, I would much rather 
hear that. I, 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 I don't. People tell me stuff and I don't want to hear. I don't like to hear it. Stop telling me that. But uh, they, they know what they, what they remember. And I, and I put it together. And um, uh, I do think that this is an attempt that ultimately will, will in fact control humanity if indeed there is humanity left. I can't tell the future. I do not know the future. I was a professor of history. I know the past to a certain extent, but I cannot project the future. Uh, and the aliens don't seem to be saying much about the future. Uh, however, um, I don't like it. I, I just, it, it, I, I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't, I don't like it. I want to hear nice, wonderful, uh, uh, benevolent things. I, I mm -hmm. want, that's what I want to hear. <laughs> I, I used to tell people, I don't want you to tell me anything bad. And I would command them, do not tell me anything bad. And I would do this little relaxation thing and they couldn't care less what I just told them. They just tell me what damn was happening to them, you know, and, uh, uh, and I was all, uh, it, was, it was bad and I didn't want that. <laughs> so, um, uh, it's it's not that I concocted this thing and and, and pulled it out of uh, abductees minds. I don't like it. I don't want to hear that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so, but I have to go where the air, where the um, uh, uh, the uh, the evidence leads me, and it leads me into this into this controlling humanity in some way eventually. And uh, uh, because that's what they can do, and if they can do it, they will do it. Do you have any um, anything you'd like to say about your uh, the way you've processed this information emotionally and psychologically to people who might just be beginning to learn about this? Well, uh, I'm older, so uh, uh, I, I, I worry about my sons more than I do about myself. But I don't think we're going to be living in the future the way I expected the future to be. Now, nobody can expect the future to be anything because uh, when I was born to imagine that I, uh, what the future was like now was impossible for, for anybody on earth, considering that we are talking uh, over the internet, whatever that is, you know, and, uh, and I mean, it's just a future that nobody could have imagined. And I think that's probably the same uh, for however this works out. Uh, I hope it does not work out with 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 a uh, a, a species uh, uh, that that is uh, more more apt and adept at controlling people than than we have been. Um, so uh, I I I just plain I don't know how to say this, but I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But I fear for it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a fascinating show. David, we really want to thank you for being on with us today and uh, sharing your insights into uh, the subject matter. Uh, it's, uh, it's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, we want to remind everybody to uh, have a look at David's books. They're, um, they're really quite clear and well-written, and uh, I don't think you can read these books with an open mind without deeply considering um, what they portend and and the idea that this information is valid and um walking among us the alien plan to control humanity is his latest book it's a, a great read um 
you may want to look at Secret Life and the threat uh, prior to reading that, just to get a little more background, even though I think you do a great job of uh, giving summations in, in your latest book. And uh, we were just really pleased to have you here, and um, maybe we can have you on again sometime to discuss any further developments or research you've been looking into. Well, my main research primarily involves watching television. <laughs> well, then you'll tell us I'm about... I'm old, I'm tired. <laughs> Maybe you'll tell us about what you're watching and how cool it is. That, that might be interesting, too. Well, I can tell you some things that will be so bizarre you could, could never imagine. I'll tell you one thing. Mm -hmm. I am a, an absolute... Uh, I, I've seen every issue, every show of... Big Brother since it began. <laughs> no. <laughs> that will show you the state of my mind. <laughs> and the state of humanity. And the state of humanity. Right. <laughs> well, we appreciate you having on and uh, going into this, these pretty interesting and frightening uh, topic. And at the same time, you know, there is there is some some humor in there too. So hopefully the, that can help us get through some of the uh, some of this material. So just wanted to thank you again. Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks David. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. Please remember to tune into uh, the health and wellness show next week. And we'll be returning with another show next Sunday. It'll either be a behind the headlines or a truth perspective. Uh, we want to thank uh, Dr. David M. Jacobs once again for being on. And uh, until then, take care. Thank you very much for listening and be well. <laughs>